because we are sedentary. Think of the blue zone people, right? They're outside, they're fishing, they're gardening, they're doing something physically, they're movement. So movement and exercise, they're different, but they both need to be playing. So some of the questions on the well-being side are, do you watch more than two hours of TV per day or on your computer? They're not shameful questions. They're just, if you answer yes to the well-being ones, if you're doing less than two hours, that's great. If you're doing more, what can you do? Like Blue Blocker or something like that. Do you get outside most days of the week for just at least 10 minutes? Those are pretty simple. Do you participate in physical activities like hobbies? On the flip side, looking at the what we call the red score in our thing is, do you have pain? Do you take medication for pain? Are you exercising less than three times or more than five times per week? Because I think that's the marker for stress versus lower exercise, things like that. Hey everybody, my name is Josh Remini. I am the pharmacist that de-prescribes drugs by giving people health and wellness tips, tricks, hacks to moving their health from maybe not so good to vibrant. Follow along if you're ready to go beyond the pills. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Beyond the Pills podcast. My name is Hector Santia Stubon and I am your co-host. I'm really just here to, uh, to keep things going, but we are here with Josh Rimini, your what did we decide? You're, you're not the anti-pharmacist because that sounds a little too harsh. The unpharmacist here to to talk about longevity today. What's up, Hector? How are you today? I'm good, man. I'd love to know. Just by the way, you look great. You look like you look refreshed and you look fit. And your maybe this is not too much. Your face, your skin looks great. It's very. I don't. So I just wanted to start that. And I'm curious, how are things in the wellness world? How are things in your world? And just kind of catch us up on what's going on. Good. Everything's great. It's funny you say I look great. Like. My wife is out of town on a wellness retreat, so I've had the kids all weekend. I've, maybe I got some good sleep because I was so exhausted, but no, I appreciate the comment. Things are good. I am in the midst of launching beta group program that I'm super excited about, which is the topic of what we're going to talk about today. But it's a longevity protocol that I've been working on and been really putting in a lot of things that have kind of come together over the years. It's layering up my mind-body reset program into a longevity program. So I'm super excited for it. Yeah, it seems like that's something that happens. We talked about stress on the last one, and stress seems to be the other big thing that people deal with. And perhaps, I don't know if you ever overcome stress, but once once you're able to maybe move past that, it seems like the next thing to tackle is longevity. Because I think a theme that we are coming upon is that we're not, it's not like a it's not a pill. It's not a check the box kind of thing. It's a daily ongoing practice that contributes to this. Is that kind of how you look at it too? Yeah, I'm, there is no pill for this ill. I think everyone's looking for the magic bullet or the fountain of youth or the supplement that's going to reverse aging. There are some stuff out there, but there's really no one common, oh, that's the thing I have to do in order to live longer. It's a conglomerate of a lot of things. And I think that's what really gets that key overall piece going, I think. Yeah. And what do you, would you say? It's such a, maybe a trendy topic right now, right? This, the anti-aging and there's these, all these new 
procedures and types of things that it seems like people are trying to live longer, right? There's talks of people living well past into their hundreds, 150s. Some of the people that are living today, they shouldn't be planning to live to their 70 or 80, but well into their hundreds. That's a big paradigm shift. I think that's a that's vastly different than where... Yeah, and I think today is a really good topic of conversation because what I sense from people and what I think our modern society that looks for the newest, greatest thing, right? New science to support living longer. We have that, but what we really need to backward take on and what we really need to move back from and get to, I guess, a little bit better way to say it is, it's also a very old paradigm of health, right? We can't go forward in the future without really respecting the past and the ancient wisdom that we've used to date, because I don't think we can skip those steps. And I think that's what's really important for me and the message is really looking at what is ancient wisdom? What are the old things that have happened? And how do we blend that with what's here and what's here today? And so today, we're really going to talk a little bit more on what is vitality? What is the recipe or the the formula? Because I think it's a formula, which basically means if you can't like make a cake with flour, it's a part of it, right? So there's not like this one thing we can say, go do that and you're fine. It's like you've got to put them all together. And when you're doing them consistently, I love to live life on the 80-20 rule. And I think that's just a universality of percent that served me really well in a lot of areas of my life. If you do the things that we're talking about today that are going to give you vitality and wellness, like 80% of the time, you're going to be in a pretty good space. And I think that's really important rather than going into, oh, let's just take NAD plus and see what happens. Or let's take metformin as a prescription and see if I can live longer better. That's not how it works. I know that there's studies going on for some things, but it's really not just like a one size fits all. I really don't think so. Yeah. What are the components to that then? If you think about, I love that cake analogy. It's such a great thing because if you, so many people, they just try and do supplements or they just have one thing and that's a cake just made out of flour or just sugar or just one ingredient. It's not that. So what are the different ingredients that someone should look to, to add into their, their lifestyle? The first piece centers around what the message has been for a very long time. It's kind of like wellness is really well-being. True wellness is well-being. And I think there's four layers to that or four pillars. And we've talked about them before, but like nutritional well-being, physical well-being, environmental well-being, and emotional well-being. And so those four pillars creates what I think is more of like longevity from the standpoint of vitality. I always say people have the right to be vibrantly healthy. Everyone has that right. Everyone has that innate ability within them. And the opposite of longevity is accelerated aging. So when we talk about anti-aging, I just say reverse the aging process. And that's what we're trying to do with with some of these beta programs, like taking science-based stuff and bringing it in there. So for me, longevity equals vitality. And if we can create a better environment for the signaling and the things that we do in our bodies based around those four pillars, we're going to create a better health span, I guess, is the best word to say it. Instead of lifespan, lifespan is how many, how the biological time when we die, right? Lifespan. I lived till I was 80, lived till I was 100. But now we want to look at health span as a period of time that we spent in good health. 
And biological age is what we can test now. So instead of saying, I'm turning 48 this year, that's my chronological age, but I want to see what my biological age is. And we'll talk about that today, how we use these markers to what I would say is reverse down the biological age. Hector, you've seen people that are 60 years old that look like they're 40, right? And you've seen people that are 40 years old that look like they're 60. And that's generally how their lifestyle has done for them, right? The things they've done and also their genetics. You said that this whole thing that we're talking about is actually reversing the aging process. And I'd imagine that that's what you're talking about in terms of seeing someone who's 40 and they look like they're 60 or 60 and they look like they're 40. What does that mean to someone when you say reverse the aging process? Like, how does that actually play out for somebody? Biological age, right? So we're talking not chronological age. In this dimension, we can't change time, right? We're in the present moment. We can't go back to the future or the past. That's a whole other topic of conversation in quantum physics. We're not going to go there today. But an area of topic I love. What we can do is look at that person that's 60 years old who looks like they're 40 what are the factors that have led them to that biologically looking or feeling age? Because you can test that now. We can test the telomeres. We can test these little variables and factors. We use a test in this beta program I'm working on to take a look at someone's biological age through the many factors that we can use it and then test them, see where they're at, and then utilize these principles and supplements and things. And we'll talk about what we use. When I always say supplement, I always say supplementing something into your diet or your, your nutrition that you're not getting from food. Because that's really what supplements are. They're not designed to add or boost things, I think. They're really designed to Im improve deficiencies or layer in nutrients that are going to move chemical pathways the right way. And that's why from a standpoint of longevity, that's what a lot of these supplements are doing. They're moving biochemistry in the right direction. So I think we start with ancient wisdom, right? Can I go in on some of these markers though? You mentioned telomeres. Are there other kinds of standard markers that someone can look at to get a baseline of these things? Or what are some other telling things? Things that affect aging, right? So we're talking the inverse to longevity is aging, right? What are the spheres of health that affect aging? Of course, diet and nutrition is one, right? We all know the foods that are going to keep us living longer and not the phytonutrient density of foods, macronutrients, glycemic impact, things like that, water activity. You think of the Jack LaLanne or the people that have lived in their 80s and 90s super fit because that was something that they they put in there. But adding these other things, we talked about it in the last episode, stress response signals, huge marker for chronicity signals. So sleeping, huge marker for longevity. If you can nail your sleep, get seven to eight hours in general, we're going to do a huge podcast just on sleep because I think it's super important. I think it's the one of the markers for people. They look at nutrition and exercise. I think sleep's the number one. From a longevity perspective, if you want to live longer. Is the marker like number of hours slept or is there a biological thing that they're testing for? The science is now caught up to this ancient wisdom, right? And marker is from a sleep perspective, this is how our brain detoxifies. We can't detoxify the brain during the waking hours. These glial cells, these things that it's like the dishwasher. 
We don't consolidate our memories until we're sleeping. We don't reduce all these inflammatory response that causes the brain all the stress issues. So seven to eight hours is generally the norm. And there's ways to find out your sweet spot with questionnaires and stuff. But it's quality, not quantity. So we want REM sleep. We want restorative sleep. We don't want just light sleep or waking up all the time. So we want that quality sleep as well. And I'm a big fan of trackers now, like Aura Ring, Whoop Band, even the Garmin, the Fitbits, they're tracking some of that sleep, some better than others, I think. But tracking is really important. I think if you're tracking daily, you're going to improve that measure. So sleep, super important. Hygiene, habits. This is where we get into pharmaceutical, recreational drugs, tobacco, alcohol, exposure to the STDs, oral hygiene, super huge. If I had known what I had known now, your microbiome, heart disease, there's so many things linked to just oral hygiene that people just don't realize. Like it's not just brushing your teeth is good for your teeth. It really affects your whole body, which is amazing. We did a whole a whole module on oral hygiene as it relates to functional medicine. And I was blown away. So I always put that in there. The others, environmental signals, good and bad, right? We have toxins, allergens, appropriate exposure to sunlight, natural beauty, EMFs, gut microbiome, sound. All these things are really important to our longevity, good and bad. Can you think of any signs? I'm think, trying to think of, of, I don't know, with telltale signs, but any red flags or any any indicators that, that I think about the teeth thing that someone might go, oh, that's an eye opener. Is there any kind of other things that someone may not directly associate to aging that is actually having a big impact on their longevity? I think looking at these seven spheres of influence of your health is really important. The last one, I think, is probably the one people don't mark as important in our individualistic society we live in now is community and purpose. All the blue zones, like there's Okinawa, Japan, there's Nicoya, Costa Rica. There's a few places in the world where people live better and longer. There's a place in Greece, place in Italy, and Loma Linda, California. So there's places that the these seven spheres of health where they've done more often than not eating healthy plant-based diets, low in pollution, clean water, spirituality, community being a really big part of a lot of this. And I think we tend to really disassociate from that pillar. And I think that's one of the most important especially in COVID, especially being isolated, we can work from home, right? We can live anywhere in the country. We can go anywhere in the world on a notice, right? On a, just a drop notice. So literally this sense of community and being in a tribe for your life, for multi-generations, from eating together in community and having this tribal sense of community is really, I think, one of the major factors that we're missing in the modern society we live in. Doesn't mean we're going to be able to live and create our own little commune. That's not what I'm talking about. It's like really that sense of community. I always call like my mentorship groups. We're both in front row dads, right? And so that's a tribe. That's a community that we can be a part of that gives us a sense of belonging and purpose. But also that has a big effect on our 
DNA and our sequencing and all the things that are the downstream effects to aging. So I need, I really wanted to emphasize that one. Yeah. If you, if you didn't tell. It's, it doesn't seem to be top of mind. People, they talk about eating right, exercising more, even sleeping is sneaking in there, but you don't hear enough people talking about the importance of community or relationships or whatever aspect of that is involved in it. Yeah, the other, the other one's environment. I think we take for granted our toxic environment and what it's doing to our bodies and the taxing space on it. Which is do you mean emotionally like, toxic or like chemically yeah. toxic? Both. Both. Thanks for bringing that up. I th- Just the advent of social media, the emotional piece, we're always connected. We're always like stuck on this phone that's five seconds away from us. Um, I like to do myself... I always say, do me first, right? I always test me, do me things. Try shutting your phone off and putting it somewhere for just like a couple hours and see how much emotional stress you have from not being attached to the phone regardless. So that's definitely something there. But like the environmental toxins, like chemically, we're exposed to so many toxins and our detoxification pathways in our bodies hasn't changed in hundreds of years. So we're exposed to a lot of that stuff and we make more and more chemicals and expose them to our environment way more than like our grandparents were around. I always say that's an easy one. Our grandparents were exposed to as many chemicals in their lifetime as we're exposed to in one month. And so those pathways need to be supported and thank goodness modern science has caught up a little bit because now I can test you Kefter and your DNA to see what kind of detoxification pathways are really good or maybe not so efficient with you so I can support them along the way. So the modern science piece is fun because we can catch up with some of the things that are happening on the, let's just say the negative side too. Yeah. One one of the things that I'm hoping to try and bring out through this podcast is some of the blind spots because I think that's something that you brought up initially when people are coming in for, I don't know, they're coming in for this but it's actually that which is mm-hmm. the problem. And so I'm wondering, is there any indicators that you know someone's not detoxifying correctly or that their pathways are over overburdened or that there's something off there? I have some friends that they live in certain areas that have certain pollens and certain things that, you know, and so I'm wondering if there are other symptoms or other conditions that seem to show up that actually might, that the toxins might actually be the root of it. That's a great, and thanks for opening up that Pandora's box a little bit, because just there's two main components of environmental toxin, right? It's toxic burden and toxic load. So there's a bit of a difference. You, let's say you're, in an, you're a pest control worker and you're exposed to many toxins for a long period of time. That's toxic load and burden, right? You're, putting, you're being burdened quite a bit. So there's a longevity piece to that, right? From a bad perspective is how often are you exposed? like the frequency, and then what's the dose? The dose makes the poison. And so we we tend the environmental groups that are the EPA and stuff, they just say tolerance levels. That's just an easy way to say we can't really control all of it. <laughs> so we're going to tolerate a little bit. Whereas like in the EU and other places in the world, they have banned Roundup, glyphosate. They've banned it completely. But for us, there's a safe and tolerable space because we have bear monsanto the places this be i'm not a conspiracy theorist however there's a lot of money to be made with that being 
in the Home Depots and everybody spraying all over the place. It's a neuroendocrine disruptor. It's really bad for you. So I think we, again, that sort of smoking gun, that like hidden thing that you're alluding to is people might be coming in for stress, foggy brain, even like blood pressure, cognitive decline, all of these things that can be effects of age or effects of exposure. We don't talk about mold exposure enough. It's a really big thing for a lot of people. And when I get stuck on somebody, I'm going, well, let's test you for mold. Let's see if there's anything up there and seeing what's going on, because those things can be really bad for you. If you've been exposed to them, it's on our little questionnaire, right? So I think when people want to know, are there things that I should be looking for? We have a simple wellness questionnaire where there's red and blue, right? The blue is for blue zones. You get better points if you're doing yeses in those. And then the red questions are, if those are yes questions for you, then those get scored lower. And then we can see where we need to look under the hood for some people. Yeah. That's, I think that was a great detour, but I think that's much needed because all of these factors are playing into it. And that's a great part of it. You had talked a little bit about these blue zones. And one of the things is that a lot of those places are not very technologically advanced. They're not, they're not the, I don't know, they're not the Abu Dhabis or the Silicon Valleys. A lot of them are very, they're tribal, they're, they're out with nature. And so it seems like they have been, that they've gained this over time, like you've mentioned, this ancient wisdom that's there. What is that? Expand a little bit more on that and how we might have lost some of that or why some of those blue zones tend to be in places that are a little more perhaps rural or a little more connected to nature. Yeah, I think when they took the common components of these places, they're slightly different, right? In Okinawa, Japan and Nicoya, Costa Rica and a place in California are very different in culture, right? And different types of foods, but there's common traits and that's what they looked at. And so the overarching picture for me really is they've done simple right and they've done it consistently because for whatever reason, we've been deprogrammed about stress. We've been deprogrammed about sleeping patterns. We've been deprogrammed about environmental and community and things that we take for granted now. And so for me and my personal journey has been putting more emphasis on those things and not having that story in my head that's like, eh, whatever. And then those modern conveniences we talk about are also taxing on our bodies. All the EMFs we have, whether you believe it or not, is fine with me. But there's a lot of different exposure we're getting from electromagnetic, chemical. You can't deny what's happening in our modern society. And there's even radiation and things that are going on with cell phone use and radiation to the head because we're always like this. And so for me, it's really been a journey for me of self-discovery of looking at what are the things that are simple, easy from the standpoint of understanding. There might not be easy to put it back into our lives. Take sleep, for example. We just don't say the quality of sleep means getting that REM sleep, getting that restorative sleep in there. Medications that help us sleep suppress REM, suppress restorative sleep. So Ambien, Xanax, those types of things that calm us down and get our brains quote unquote sleeping, they don't actually help the sleep that we need. 
So we're putting false sense of security on stuff and we're in a sort of space of a little bit of denial. Like all the LED lights that are in my house are all blue light that are really stimulating. It's If you turn all your lights on at night, that's like your brain thinking it's 12 noon all the time. Our circadian patterns, our melatonin doesn't get secreted from our pineal gland, which doesn't allow us to rest. And so how do we get things back to normal and back or not normal, but back to simplicity really has been my saving grace on that and not taking it for granted. That's huge. Yeah, there's this weird interplay between capitalism and commerce and, oh, there's this cool LED and it saves power and it's brighter and all these, I don't know, whatever, had 30,000 so bright, but then years later, we start to realize that they have real impacts on our livelihoods. And I don't know that society has caught up to that reconciliation, though, right? Because I think we also in a country in America here where capitalism at all costs sometimes, right? It's profit over purpose. I've, I'm not wearing them now, but I've got blue light blockers. All the screens we're looking at all day long are bringing in that. Why not just filter that out? Like we, we have hacks, we have tricks, we have things that we can do to augment our, because, you know, modern science is convenient. We have a lot of things, you know, what we can do on this phone, we couldn't do on like supercomputers just a few years ago. So we have these modern conveniences, but let's not talk about some of the taxing things that we need to do to protect our bodies. And that's where I think some of this, these blue zones come into play because they're not focused on all that stuff. And guess what? The meaning of their life is very joyous. Like they live in joy more often than not. And for all the modern convenience we have, Hector, there's a lot of taxing stress that's associated with that as well. Yeah. Is there any other things that you think contribute to these blue zones that help them when it comes to their lifestyle or their what they're doing? It seems like a holistic kind of thing. So is there any other things that you think are helping towards this? They put things into perspective. Their lifestyle is very low on stress and they have strategies to help them. They're family focused. They eat predominantly plant-based they eat until they're almost full. So I always say eat until you're not hungry. Don't eat until you're full. Very different on your glycemic load and index. And they live in areas that are usually low in pollution, clean water, fresh air. They get out naturally. They do a lot of exercise that are getting in the dirt and gardening, things like that. We can mimic a lot of that. That's the point we're trying to make here. We're not going to live in Nicoya, Costa Rica, all of us. We can't move to these places and then automatically be healthy and well and vibrant into our hundreds. And so I think we can do our best to how do we mimic that. One of those ideas that I try to do with my family is at night, just use candles. Do it for a week and see how you sleep. You sleep so much different because that light is very different than the stimulating light putting down your screens two hours before bed, like all those things can mimic what these environments and what these zones are doing that are contributing. Like, again, there's not one thing they're doing. It's all of that put together that creates that sense of belonging, that sense of joy. When we say less stress, what's the opposite of that? They're resting. They're digesting, they're taking naps, they're doing things that should be less stimulating. I love the candles, right? That's something that 
with my kids. They're three and four. So bedtime was always like, how do we make bedtime as painless as possible? And cutting the screens was one, turning the lights down. But I think the candles is, is the next step. No, um, another one could be don't eat for at least two to three hours before you go to bed. And that includes alcohol too. But, you know, those blue zones, like I think the one in Italy that they try to do the studies on whether alcohol or not and stuff like that, they're drinking moderate, like small amounts of red wine, right? The resveratrol in red wine, you'd have to drink so much of it to get the quality of resveratrol. It's not that. So let's not go back and forth about alcohol, not alcohol, but they're, the totality is what we're really talking about. I'd love to go into these seven spheres because I know that there are some very tactical things that people can do and think about. Before we dive into that, is there anything else that you thought would just be relevant to giving some context to this whole longevity thing? Yeah, I think stress is huge. We should just keep, maybe I'm emphasizing that because that's the one that's been the most predominant in my life when I look at my all the other things that I'm, I've been doing. And then taking a look at where does this ancient wisdom and these seven pillars layer into what our modern society gives us today, like the biohacking, the bioregulation, biofeedback things we can do that are direct to consumer now. We don't even have to use fancy machines, although I do have friends that go do that for a living too, neuroscience and biofeedback and supplements, of course. Like what are the clinical aspects of things that we can do? And I'm a big fan of personalization. So we take the ancient wisdom piece, which is the general rules for everyone. And then we blend it with modern science, which is where we can hyper-personalize it. Mm. So I think blending the two is is like the sweet spot for today Yeah. in this day and age. How does one get, go about doing that is there does someone need someone like you to go and kind of walk them through it are there steps that someone can take to get started on this path at least i always take the adage of there's four things people could do when they have a goal right they could do nothing they could listen to this and just simply go on with their life they could do it themselves right there's a lot of diy out there which i totally appreciate for people and i want them to be informed so they can make their own confident decisions so as much of that self-knowledge that you can do. You can hire a guide, right? Me or someone else, right? This is what I do for a living. I've spent thousands upon thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars learning about all this stuff that has to do with wellness. I think you get to places faster and with less money when you hire a guide. Just think of a plumber, a contractor, you could even look at it, your financial advisor. There's plenty of people that like to do it on their own, right? Your accountant, you can do your taxes by yourself. I like to be in my zone of genius most of the time, which means the things I love to do and I'm good at. And I'm a big fan of hiring mentors, hiring coaches for things that you are not great at, but you would like to be really good at. And so that's the, my long of the short on whether you hire someone or not. I would like to say though, if you're going through a program or you have to go from an accountability perspective, because that's what you hire people for too, is for accountability, right? Whether it's a professional or whether it's a friend, having an accountability partner is super important. 23% of people that try to do it on their own, follow through with a program, any program. It doesn't have to do with health. 83% of people that have an accountability partner along with them. Let's just think of a coach. Think of someone running alongside of you. 83% that have an accountability partner 
follow through with their program. So again, it's that 80, 20 rule. You can certainly do it yourself. If you really think you're one of those 20%, that's really going to get it done. But just look at new year's resolutions. How many people actually do them? Because we just need accountability in this world. We do. We need people around us. We need tribes. We need groups. A lot of our programming is group-based. So we can keep costs lower, but also get people in a tribe that are also going through the same thing. How awesome is that? How does it feel being in a group of dads, Hector, that we're a part of when we know people are going through the same wins and the same struggles as us? It's just, it's comforting. It feels like you're not alone. You can do this kind of thing. This has been such a great conversation, but I really want to leave people here with some tactical things that they might be able to implement in their life. And so we're going to go through these seven spheres and talk about some really specific stuff that that you can start implementing. The first one is diet and nutrition. What are some things that people might be able to do here to impact their longevity? Yeah, it starts with macro and micronutrition, right? So macro, I just say eat five colors every day right? That's not hard. Looking at those things, micronutrients, supplementation, five supplements everybody needs because it's lacking in their diet are things that you can do today. That's omega-3 fatty acids, fish oils, good ones, magnesium, vitamin D, probiotics, and a multivitamin, high quality, multi-mineral, like good quality, high potency, multivite. Those are simple things people can do in their nutrition space. And water, just drink enough water. Guaranteed, most people aren't drinking enough. Half your body weight in ounces per day. If you're 150 pounds, that means 75 ounces of water per day. You can count your fruits and veggies. They have a little bit of water in them. However, don't anything with caffeine and anything with alcohol, you can't count as water. So that's pretty simple stuff. Again, I always say just take a look at your, check those boxes off and see, are you doing them or not? And start there. Start with the simple before you get into the complex. Yeah. The next one would be physical activity. What about that can people just pay attention to when it comes to activity? Sedentary time. How often are we getting up out of our chair to move? In the questionnaire is one of the one of the questions is, is do you get up and walk around during the day? So sitting is the new smoking? Like literally, if you don't get up and move, then it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes. So it's literally sedentary lifestyle. Those treadmill desks and I have a stand-up desk. There's something to that, right? They're not just trendy. Yeah, because we are sedentary. Think of the blue zone people, right? They're outside, they're fishing, they're gardening, they're doing something physically, they're movement. So movement and exercise, they're different, but they both need to be playing. So Some of the questions on the well-being side are, do you watch more than two hours of TV per day or on your computer? They're not shameful questions. They're just, if you answer yes to the well-being ones, if you're doing less than two hours, that's great. If you're doing more, what can you do? Like blue blocker or something like that. Do you get outside most days of the week for just at least 10 minutes? Those are pretty simple. Do you participate in physical activities like hobbies? On the flip side, looking at the what we call the red score and our thing is, do you have pain? Do you take medication for pain? Are you exercising less than three times or more than five times per week? Because I think that's the marker for stress versus lower exercise, things like that. Yeah, one thing that comes up here is how often and how much how should someone look at that in terms of the longevity space? Is there a minimum that they should be looking to? Should they be not stressing themselves? Like, how do they balance that? 
I think three times a week is my minimum from a getting up and moving. 30 minutes of movement three times a week is where I think that exercise piece is. And if we're over-exercising, we have a lot of people that are, let's just, I don't want to call them addicted. They're really into exercise. That's also taxing on the body. Again, it's awareness. If we're aware of it, what are we doing to detoxify? Are we doing things that are going to help rest and rejuvenate ourselves more often? Are we using supplements that are designed around inflammation more, like increasing the omega-3 status, stuff like that, if we're on the opposite side of too little? I think that's a really important thing to understand. I've realized that exercise and stress are really, they seem to be connected. The more you exercise, the, I don't know if the less stress you have, but the better that you're able to deal with it. But what about the stress part of it? What can do people do there to mitigate? Some from an emotional well-being perspective, again, what are the good things, good signals that you can put in? Are you doing things in groups, that community space three times a week? Do you sleep that seven to eight hours a night without the help of medication are you tracking your sleep to making sure it's quality? Do you have a spiritual practice? And what I mean that is, do you meditate? Do you participate in church, church activities or prayer? I'm very spiritual. I wouldn't say I'm very religious, but I'm very spiritual. So I have a very deep meditative practice that I do that's a non-forgivable. The science of meditation is just so far-reaching that we need to make sure we're doing that. And then on the opposite side, are we answering yes to the components of potentially emotional well-being being off. One of those things would be, are you frequently experiencing like things like anxiety, mental fogginess, trouble concentrating, depression? Or do you get up more than one, twice a night? Do you need a alarm clock to wake you up? Are you feeling sluggish when you get up? Do you feel lonely? Do you care for a aging parent? These are things that can be very stressful. We can't necessarily get rid of them, but if we're aware then what are the things that we can do to counterbalance it? I know you mentioned hygiene and habits was a big part too. Is there anything there that hasn't been mentioned that people can take away from today? It's just environment, really. The environmental well-being piece. Don't drink from plastic. We don't need to anymore, right? It, there's too many PCBs and all these things that are contained in plastics, endocrine disruptor. There's plasticized estrogen-like components that look like estrogen that men and women can carry on. So I get rid of plastic. That was first for me. That's an environmental thing we can do just right away. Try to eat organic. Look at the dirty dozen, clean, 413 or whatever it is, the environmental working group. Are you in any in threat, I guess, physically in any relationships, workplace type stuff? emotional toxins we talked about in personal relationships. And then I think a big one we just forget about is do you use safe, clean cleaners, like things in your house? Are you spraying stuff all over the place and sniffing it all up? Or are you using organic or environmentally safe cleansers, detergents, soaps? You can clean that stuff up. It's not hard. We just have to be more cognizant of it. This aging conversation, it, it's gone all over the place because I think like we said at the beginning, there's so many things that impact it, right? And there's so many things that have an effect on it. There's maybe feeling overwhelmed. Geez, Josh, that's longer than my shopping list of things that, you know, that we could do. You mentioned you started somewhere. So how do you help people identify where to start or what to prioritize first over some of these other things? I just say clean living, like as much as you can clean your chemicals out of your 
cleaners. We use, I think my wife, it's Grove, which is like a website direct to consumer, like an Amazon for household cleaning stuff. It's all PCB free, phthalate free, all that kind of stuff. It's just really clean. And so clean up your environment at home. Take a look at those four levels of well-being and see where you're scoring yourself. Self-reported scores, no shame here. It's there's just start by starting somewhere and seeing which one you're going to focus on. And then it's like coaching 101, it's like focus on one thing and do it really good for a week. And if you once it becomes a habit in 14 days, you can move on to something else. So simple stuff like drinking enough water every day. How much can we focus on one thing and move towards it? Because if you're improving every day, you're improving. And I think that's what people get stuck with is they try to do too much too quick. And we get into that shamey, blamey self mode too. Is like, oh, I'm so bad at all of this stuff. It's if you drink soda, try getting rid of it for a little bit. See what happens. It's not going to hurt you. I don't drink soda anymore. My only soda is bubble water, right? It's what I drink. My kids don't drink dairy. Like they, their milk is almond milk. It's got more protein. It's got more calcium, and it's not inflammatory to them. So it's habits right? Good or bad, replace one of these habits that may not be great with something that's important or something that's healthy, like shifting from one to the other and seeing what you love to do or what you can tolerate because you're never going to do anything if you don't believe it. And if it's something that you can't accomplish, but just remember anything's possible and There's a lot of things we can be doing, not what we can't be doing, right? I think we all can improve ourselves. We all know that. And I think it's a quality of commitment to improvement that really has helped me in my life. Yeah. We've spent however many years ourselves. And so we can continue to spend the rest of our days unaging ourselves and to take it and to continue to put one foot in front of the other and to see it as a journey, not like a, not, it's not a, a checkbox. It's something that we have to yeah. get up, continue to do each day. And that's exactly it, Hector. It's a journey. Your life, your health span, your life is a journey. It's not a fad, right? You're going to be here tomorrow and you're going to be here years from now. But it's what choices do you make day in and day out that are going to make the world of difference. I always just say, start by starting. That's it, period. Just start with one thing. And you're moving, you're moving your mindset and your intention over to that. Instead of doing the same thing over and over again, that's where the neuroplasticity and the reprogramming goes in the mind is by doing something slightly different, you're going to change that, you're going to change that wiring in your brain. And that's why it's just one, just commit to one. That's, and I'm a high D on my disc score, which means I need challenges. So people that are really like, they really like to challenge themselves. That's why we get a lot of these things on the social media is like these five day challenges and stuff. Just challenge yourself to one thing. If you identified water as being something you're not doing well, then challenge yourself. No matter what, I'm going to get my water in rather than saying, well, you know, this and that. And we said it before, but It's okay to miss it once because we're fallible, we're not perfect. But my mantra is, if you miss it once, don't miss it the second day in a row, right? Give yourself that freedom that says, if I missed it, you're not intentionally missing it, but if I miss that mark, just make sure it doesn't happen twice in a row. Everybody can figure that piece out, right? Oh man, I missed it. I'm not going to happen tomorrow. And that really does help me motivate me. Yeah. 
Such a great conversation. Guys, I want to thank you guys for being here and being part of the Beyond the Pills community. I would encourage you guys, if you guys enjoyed the show, to hit the follow button wherever you guys are listening. If you'd love to leave a rating, we'd appreciate that. Go and find Josh on social, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You can find the Beyond the Pills on TikTok. And if there is someone who wants to go beyond the pills and you want to help them along their journey as well, send them this episode and let's grow together. Thanks so much for being a part of the Beyond the Pills community, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks, guys. Stay well. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Pills podcast. You can find Josh on LinkedIn and Facebook at Josh Rimini and on TikTok at Beyond the Pills. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be forever grateful if you left a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know somebody who wants to go beyond the pills, send them this episode. If you've got any specific questions or ideas for future episodes, reach out to Josh and send him a message. Thanks again for being a part of the Beyond the Pills community. We'll see you next time. Thank you.